Great. Um, it's good to be back. Uh, and um, it was great to hear from Mark and Debbie. They were just they were outstanding in Sri Lanka. It was so brilliant to have them there. And the guys in Sri Lanka are so blessed to know the partnership of St. Thomas of Beckett and St. Matt's. They often talk about the two, two churches there and how they are amazed that a church that's sort of approaching 700 years old uh, and this, the new church plant here in the congregations, both those congregations, the fact that they would spend time praying for them and giving to them and uh, sharing that heart is just a real joy for those guys. As we talked about what's going on in the parish and, and how we as a kind of parish are looking to stand with them, they, it's amazing. You go somewhere like that and you end up receiving far more than you give. Um, and there's a growing sense of partnership. So at St Thomas of Beckett this morning where I was there taking the service, there are two or three people there saying, we want to go as part of a team. I think that's fantastic. And so the plan is to take teams from here and from St Tom's and just sort of together as a parish go and encourage them. So if, um, having seen and heard from Mark and Debbie, you too want to get really messed up, then I'd really encourage you to think about coming to Sri Lanka uh, because that's what happens. Something in our hearts gets touched. It's not that there's anything magic about Sri Lanka. It's not that there's anything magic about going on mission. But sometimes when we step out of our own circumstances, everything kind of changes slightly. And for, for Mark and Debbie, as they spoke at the church as they were involved in ministry, as they uh, shared things prophetically. It was great to see them just launching into this new area. And when we were coming back, I was saying, so are you going to go back to Sri Lanka? And they were both like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a growing partnership, and that's a really exciting thing. Um, and we, we would like you to pray for our family out there, our church family, because they're family, aren't they? That's what it's all about. Tonight, speaking about finishing the race, and it is interesting having been to Sri Lanka and seeing the church there, the church that's growing, the work that they've been doing, often with incredibly little resources. It's really interesting to me that they're building, physically building a church uh, at the same time as we're looking at kind of restoring this parish, uh, this church here in the parish and doing a building development. Uh, it, it's quite frustrating how they are able to operate just by slinging up concrete beams and using the church with wires hanging down and kind of in there and, and you think, yeah, if this was in England they'd all be in hard hats and none of us would be allowed on site and it'd be really boring. There's something very liberating about that. But they're praying for us as we're journeying into exploring that as well. I want to talk about finishing the race. Um, there's a story some of you uh, may have heard. Um, there were two British gas engineers and they were servicing uh, and checking on meters. And one of the younger guys, there was, a, there was an older engineer and a younger guy, and they were kind of working together, and the older guy was helping this trainee, and they were checking out meters in a suburban cul-de-sac. And they parked their van up at the top of the cul-de-sac, and then they walked down checking all of the meters in all of the houses as they went. And when they got right to the other end, they got to the last property, they checked the meter there. And at this last house, there's a woman looking out the window, looking at these guys as they check the meters. And as kind of two lads together, one older and one younger, often you know, a bit of banter between them, the older chap said to the younger guy, I'll race you back to the van, back out the road. The younger guy quite like, fancied himself as someone who's a bit fit, but the older guy quite like running. So they sprint back up the lane. And as they're running up to the van, completely out of breath, they suddenly realise that the lady from the last house is heaving and puffing and overtaking them, streaming past them and gasping for breath. And they say, what, what, what on earth's going on? And she said, when I see two gas engineers running full speed away from my house, <laughs> I figure I'd better run too. 
Um, I saw a T-shirt um, one time, and on the front of it said, I'm a nuclear scientist, I make atomic bombs. And on the back it said, if you see me running, you best try and catch up. <laughs> I, it's interesting, isn't it? That, that terrible thing in London recently, the weekend, there was fear of gunfire in the tube. I don't know if you saw some of the footage from that. And, um, you know, and all of your worst anxieties come up, don't you, when you see people fleeing down Oxford Street in complete panic. And, of course, it turns out it actually wasn't anything. But I wonder if you'd been one of the crowds standing there watching people streaming towards you. There was loads of mobile phone footage saying, what's going on, what's going on? And suddenly everyone's turning around and running with them. The kind of herd instinct. For that lady running away with the gas engineers, she didn't really know why she was running. She just thought she should run because everyone else was running. And, you know, sometimes as I think about that for us in church and us in our Christian faith, sometimes I think we can find that we're running but we're not actually sure why we're running or where we're running. And maybe sometimes we just end up running the wrong race. And where does our faith, if you have faith, where does that enter into running the race? And what about church? What about church? How does that fit in with all of this? You know, sometimes if I'm really honest, when I think about the church, I think the church is the pits. I mean, I think it really is sometimes the pits. You know, the the pits uh, are not about, it's, it's actually not the race. And the race is not all about the pits. But the pits are there to help you to get to the end of the race, which is the whole point of the race, isn't it? To get to the end. Acts 20, 24, listen to that verse again. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. My only aim is to finish the race. I was thinking about this, you know, I think one of the challenges facing us in this generation in these days, maybe it's not a new thing, but I think it's really prevalent for us in these days, is that if it's too hard in these days, we often just think, well, I'll give up, or give in, or I'll take the easy path. Uh, But perhaps that's not a new message, that's not a new idea, probably it's as old as creation itself. What about right the way back in Genesis 3? You know, there's that temptation, isn't there, from, from Satan to Adam. Did God really say? And in creeps doubt or uncertainty, in creeps difficulty. Uh, do you remember the film, maybe some of you have seen it, it's quite a hard film to watch, but Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. Do you remember that film? If you've seen that film, the Gethsemane account, where Jesus is in Gethsemane and he's praying that prayer. And obviously there's a lot of artistic creativity in that film, but reading between scriptural lines, often the imagery that's used, I think particularly in the Gethsemane scene, is very, very powerful, where he's there praying, literally sweating blood. I've said this before, people thought that that was just a kind of picture, sweating blood. No one really does that, do they? And then, of course, in the trenches of World War I, people did sweat blood, and it was the first documented occasion. So here's Jesus, literally under so much pressure, so much agony, so much torment, that in the midst of the garden where he's praying, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me, he starts sweating blood. And in that, in that image from the Passion of the Christ, there's Satan walking around behind him, 
and it's all in Aramaic, but, but there's the subtitles, and he's saying, it's too much for you, you can't do this. It's too much for one man to take the sin of the world. You can't do it. Give up. Why do you bother even trying? And you know what? I think for many of us today in the world as Christians, there's lots of voices that are saying, yeah, but do you really have to believe the word of God? Do you really have to be so vocal about your faith? Why don't you compromise? Why don't you compromise on your stand? You don't have to hold all these views and be so firm and so rigid. Give in. It's too much. It's, it's just too much. And of course, and it's good to be honest about this, I know people who have fallen away from the faith. I've got good friends who started out that race so strong. When I became a young Christian, I had a really good buddy, a good friend of mine who was there with me, who kind of came on the same camps, Christian camps I did, who kind of made a profession of faith too, and who, at least in this season of life, just seems to have fallen away. I'm sure each of us might have friends, family members, in our own circumstances, who we can identify and say, yeah, actually right now, that person who seemed to be so on for the Lord just now just seems their love's grown cold, grown hard. It's tough. And it's easy sometimes to simply give in. But Paul says here, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. So we have that image of the pits. You know, when I said, you know what, life, sometimes church is just the pits. I wonder how many of you went, yeah, God, isn't it just? (laughs) Sadly, it is, not always in a good way. And maybe many of you here will know that church, as we understand it, or as it's often been understood, can really be the pits, but not in a good way. Now, of course, all pictures have their limitations, but as I was thinking that, why did I say that? What made me think about the pits? Apart from the fact there was a Grand Prix today, some of you may have seen it, but what makes us think about how could the church be the pits? What might we learn from those images, the Red Bull, in two seconds? Well, I think church is important in our Christian race. Church isn't just a nice thing that we bolt on the side. And maybe for some of you guys, when you think about church, you think of a service like this. And that's a part of church, perhaps. But that's not the real measure of church. Church is supposed to be a place of restoration, a place of family, a place of harmony, a place of working together for the common good. Each person finding their place in the family, standing alongside and working with each other. I'm reminded of Ephesians 4, that great passage that talks about uh, kind of the fivefold ministry. We're going to be thinking about this after Christmas and spend some time looking at this. The fivefold ministries. Can anyone say what they are? I'll start you off. Apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. It talks about these fivefold ministries. It says that they've been given to the church in order that the body of Christ, that's you and me, will be built up, made complete. So in the church, it's saying you have different kind of giftings, different kind of different personalities, different temperaments, different gifts that are called together to help work together for the common good. A shape, different shapes that somehow fit together to build up and equip the church. So I think church is not a building. It's never supposed to be a building. We use buildings and buildings are great. But church isn't about a building. It was never supposed to be about a building. It's about the people. We don't do church, we are church. That's the message of the New Testament. That's, that's the message of Acts. 
Church is about people doing the things of the kingdom, seeing his kingdom come. And church, therefore, perhaps is a place that's like a pit. It's supposed to be a place of renewal, of refreshment, encouragement. Hopefully that's why, partly why you're here this evening, for renewal, for refreshment, for encouragement. We all need a top-up. They used to do um, petrol pit stops. They don't do that anymore because it got a bit dangerous. But in two seconds, you imagine filling a petrol tank. But we all need a spiritual top-up, refreshment. We all need our visor cleaned every now and then as well. A pit stop is a place that you plug in and you can receive. And church is a place that you're supposed to plug in and receive to be encouraged. It's also a place of adjustment where learning and tweaking can make a difference, can help us to run the race better, with more skill, more efficiently, with better power. Church is supposed to be a place that reminds us that we're not on our own. We were never supposed to be on our own, that we're all in this together, and that you need me and I need you. That's one of the joys of travelling somewhere like Sri Lanka, right halfway across the world, and you see a body of believers who are struggling with the same kind of stuff we do, and they've seen victories in areas maybe that we haven't, and they've learned some of the things that we could help them. We spent a lot of time, I spent a lot of time there in Candy, and particularly in Colombo with young leaders, talking about church leadership and encouraging and inspiring them. But you know what? I was as inspired and encouraged, if more so. We learn from one another because we're family together, and we need them, and they need us. We grow together. And just like in that fantastic video where everyone had a different role, and they didn't jostle for position. The person who was putting the wheel on didn't say, I'm more important than the person with a wheel gun. Or the guy with the lollipop stick wasn't more important than the person who jacked the car up. They all have a place. They all have a purpose. And when they work together beautifully in harmony, it's a glorious thing to behold. So much so that you can take something mechanical and put it to classical music and it looks quite beautiful. That's how the church is supposed to be. Like an orchestra, different instruments that when together in harmony is a truly, truly beautiful thing that sustains us and encourages us in the race that individually we have to run. Because that's the thing about this passage that Paul's speaking about. We are all in an individual race. If you know and love the Lord, then you're called to run. But we don't just run individually. We don't run in a race with me wanting to beat Peter because I'm a lot younger and a lot fitter than him. He's a lot fitter than me, but we won't talk about that. When we go to Sri Lanka, Paul Wakeley gets up at 5 o'clock in the morning and goes running. The man's mad. (laughs) but we're all called to run we run together, we run individually we run as a body and we need each other to cheer us on and encourage each other church is supposed to be a place where we're reminded that the real race to be run is actually out there and that church a church service for example is just a place where we're waiting for the green lights so that we can go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We're called to go out. So we come to church, not as an event that that's everything, that's the whole thing we've done at our faith week, but we go to church in order to receive, to be built up, to be encouraged, to have new wheels to put on, to have the engine tweaked, to have a sense of encouragement, that we're, we're, we're with one another, and we cheer one another on, and then we go as church, not from church, but we go as church to help bring transformation into the world. And we go from this place running, Sometimes we might feel like we're limping, but that's okay because we go together. So we go as family where we can lean on one another 
And when someone's really been beaten up or tired or got blisters, well, we learn to carry one another. So church can be a place where we can be healed and encouraged and we can be soothed and blessed in order that soon, one day, we can start to run again, to run the race, to be cheered into that. But maybe for some of you, it's a bit like you've got stuck in the pits. You're kind of in church, but the world out there is a hard place and you're not quite sure you're equipped or what you're called to out there. You've kind of come in here and you've found church, but you're a bit stuck. Or maybe you're one of those people who just endlessly is running around the track and for you, church is a place where you've never really found as a home. You feel a bit uncomfortable coming into the pits. You kind of lurk around on the outside because you've never found a church family to stop in. You're not supposed to do it on your own. You never were supposed to. And church is called to be a place of family and encouragement for you. But you know what? I'm really aware that often church for a lot of people hasn't been that. It's been a place of abuse or a place of isolation or a place of judgment. And I'm sorry when church has been like that. It's supposed to be a place of healing and refreshment. And we won't always get it right as leaders because we are church, you and me together. And so we want to help shape church together. God wants us to run the race, to not limp or give up. In Matthew 11, there's this peculiar verse and it's translated in all sorts of ways and you might have heard of different translations but I actually like this translation the best and there's lots of theological reasons why I think that and we can have that discussion later if you've got a different translation but in Matthew 11 it says this the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it some translations talk about violence I should think they're wrong translations we won't go into a long discussion on that but I've got a very interesting bit of reading if you want to the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing I believe that even in the dark world we live in even in the pressure and challenges that we face the kingdom of heaven has been advancing and is advancing. And this passion, this verse seems to say that passionate men and women can help almost draw it in. And we're told to pray that, aren't you? Your kingdom come, your will be done, we're told to pray. And the implication is that as people of God, we can pray his kingdom into being, his will into being. But if we're kind of a bit passive about it, well, the implication is maybe it won't. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men and women lay hold of it. That passage and scripture, I think, speaks of passion, not passivity. Urgency, not anxiety. Sometimes anxiety can cause us to freeze and think, I can't really run the race, I'm not a very good Christian, I kind of like feel like I'm limping, I don't know enough, and we stop or give up or hide. But there's an urgency in the days that we live in, I believe, because I think we live in dark days. And I don't think they're going to get better. I don't think they're simply going to improve on their own. There's a challenge. The God of this age, the enemy of this age, is causing division and disunity and fear and anxiety. But we shouldn't yield to fear in the midst of that because God wants his kingdom to advance and he wants to use you and me to be a part of that. And God wants action from his people, not simply reaction to circumstances. He wants us to be people who can learn to run, learn with his to run with his power and his spirit. I want to read this passage from Philippians 3, 13, 12 and 13, 14 to you. So this is Philippians 3, starting at verse 12. This is Paul again speaking. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, 
but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining to what's ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's that, it's that saying dearly, saying, I, I don't want to be limited by my past. You know, all of us have a past. And if I, <laughs> if I got us to think back and think, you know, are there any things that you're ashamed of? Are there any things that you struggle with? Are there any kind of ghosts from your past that sometimes reach out and grab hold of you? Any of you have any of those? I know I do. Things where I've kind of felt like I've just not done the right thing. Things where I've been inadequate. Things where I've failed. Things where I've made wrong choices. Things where I've done the wrong thing, said the wrong thing. Things that have ended up in a bit of a car crash. And even though I know God has forgiven me for those things, you know, there's that verse where it says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed your transgressions, your sins from you. How far is the east from the west? like a long way opposites they never meet do you believe scripture do you believe that's true so when God says to you as far as the east is from the west that's how far I've removed my transgressions from you do you believe that's true I know you're thinking is this a trick question (laughs) Uh, yes Tim is the answer we do know that's true but do we always believe that because so often we go back to God and we say, oh God, you know, I'm sorry for that thing I did. And God says, what thing? And you say, you know, that thing that I did. And God says, no, I've got no idea what you're talking about. You know, that thing that I did. And, I, and God says, what? I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm guessing I might have forgiven you for it. <laughs> as far as the east is from the west. Gone, erased, forgiven. But so often those ghosts from our past, they come up and haunt us and they try to pull us back in and slow us down from running the race because we feel shame. The power of shame can be crippling. The power of shame is like shackles tied to our feet that just trip us or make us want to sit down and give up. And often the enemy will kind of hold a mirror in front of our face and often it's to do with our past. And he'll remind us of what we've done and he'll remind us of our failure and he'll remind us of our ghosts and our difficulties. You know what, when the enemy reminds you of your past, just point a revelation and remind him of his future. Because he's defeated. One day he'll be fully defeated. But the power of the cross means there is, that shame can be, is undone from our lives. We can know hope. And Paul says this in this passage, forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead, I press on. I think one of the things the enemy loves to do is slow us down, to hold us back, to kind of climb on our back and to put loads of burdens and weights in our rucksacks. But we need to jettison that sometimes. If we've truly yielded it to God, if we've truly been forgiven, then sometimes we just need to simply forget what's behind. Because God wants to do a new thing today. And he wants to do a new thing for you tomorrow. And if there is things in your past that that, that God wants to resolve and to, to help you work through, then that's for God to bring that up. But there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation is something from the enemy where it's just like being hit with a sledgehammer. just makes you feel rubbish and you can't quite put your finger on what it is. Conviction from the Holy Spirit is like a laser light shining on something that says, I want to sort this issue out in your life. 
If you're struggling with something and you can't shake it off, it's like a ghost from the past, then pray with someone. Get a good friend to pray with you. One of the prayer team would love to pray with you. I feel like tonight I'd really love to pray and for us to pray some of those kind of shackles off us. We had those images earlier on of shackles that sometimes hold us. Maybe you need to experience freedom from Christ in those areas, particularly perhaps in the area of shame. (coughs) Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God called me. It's a great word um, in Greek there, katalambano. Say that with me, katalambano. Beautiful. It, It kind of means laying hold of something, taking hold of something until it becomes mine. Sometimes in, in the kind of Christian faith we can kind of just sort of passively sort of reach out for something. But Paul's saying, you know, I want to strain ahead and grab hold of this thing and make it mine. The promises of Christ, the hope of the gospel, the ability to run and not grow weary. I want to take hold of it. Remember that verse in Matthew, the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and forceful men and women lay hold of it. You know, when we went to Sri Lanka and we met people in the most horrible poverty, <laughs> people who would journey, you know, five, six miles to church, walking bare feet, some of these guys. And we sometimes moan because we can't park on Whitcomb Hill. Sometimes we need to just get a bit of a reality check about some of our first world problems, the things that really trouble us. I know parking in Whitcomb's a pain. I get that, Okay. But actually there's people around the, the, the world today who, who are giving up so much to just even go and worship. They're risking their, their, their lives. Why are they doing that? Not because they feel, oh, I probably should go to church. They're pressing and running the race because they've caught hold of something that sometimes we let run through our hands like sand. We almost forget why we're running. Oh, I'm running because everyone else is running. I'm running because the gas men are running. I better run. You don't run that race if it's a matter of life and death. But if you catch hold of a glimpse of Jesus and you remember your first love, then we start running again. I know for me in my life there have been times when I've been running the race and been thinking, what am I running? Where am I running? We almost lose sight of Jesus. And then the Father says, remember your first love. Remember what it was when you first caught a sight of Jesus. Remember what it was when you first experienced grace and forgiveness and cleansing. Remember what it was when you first knew that you truly were called a child of God and something rose up in you, hope and joy and peace. Remember what it was when God spoke to you that first time and you read that scripture and it came alive. Remember that time when you were worshipping and you felt the presence of God cleanse you and heal you. Remember that time when someone prayed for you and you felt the reality of the Holy Spirit. Or you simply heard the word the Father saying to you, you're my child, I love you. That's why we run. We don't run to be religious. We don't run to look good. We don't run simply because everyone else is running. We run because the Father runs ahead of us and we're longing to be with him. There's that beautiful, I don't know if you've seen the film Chariots of Fire. Most of you are just ridiculously too young to even know what Chariots of Fire is. I'd really encourage you to see the film. It's got a great soundtrack. But in, in, in that film talks um, Eric Little, that's his name, isn't it? And he's a, he's a, he's a Scot. It's, it's, a, it's a based on a true story. The 1920-something Olympics, based on that, he's a Christian and he's like a lay preacher and, uh, and it's his story. And actually he changes races because the final of the race, one of the races he's in, is on a Sunday. And because, you know, culturally in that day, particularly in Scotland, there was a, he kind of didn't really do sport on a Sunday, it was the Lord's Day and he just 
decided that he didn't want to run and he wouldn't run and he gave up his space and everyone thought he was mad. But they put him into a different race and it's a beautiful, beautiful story. But one of the things that he says that stayed with me, he ended up being a missionary in China. He says, when I run, I feel the Lord's pleasure. He was someone who was made to run. He had the gift of running, but he said, when I run, and kind of had the wind in my head, I feel the Lord's pleasure. You know what? That's how it's supposed to be for every single one of us when we run. Whether you're a sprinter like Peter here, or whether you're a long-distance walker like me, (laughs) however you run, however fast or slow you run, the idea is you're supposed to feel your father's pleasure, the wind of the spirit in your hair. And there are seasons, of course, when running is tough and when we're limping and we're hobbling and we're doing it through tears. But even then, we run because he runs with us, because he's for us. It says this in the Amplified version. This is for Victoria, who loves the Amplified. This is Paul speaking again from Philippians. Not that I have now attained this ideal or have already been made perfect, but I press on to lay hold of, to grasp and make my own that for which Christ Jesus, the Messiah, has laid hold of me and made me his own. Jesus loves you. He knows all about your circumstances, even if you don't necessarily know him. And he's wanting you to not limp through life, to not crawl. Sometimes, for some of you, it feels like you're crawling over broken glass. He wants you to run. Not because he's chasing you, (laughs) but because there's real joy in running. You know, when you look at children, I used to teach reception. Whenever I told my class to go anywhere, they would never amble slowly. They would always run. It was a nightmare. And not only would they run, but they'd skip. How many of you here remember skipping? Be honest. Anyone? Any skippers? Any of you still skip now? Any of you wish you could skip now? Gambling like a little lamb? Why do children skip and run? It's a really ridiculous way of expending energy and getting from A to B. You know, it kind of exhausts you and it kind of is a bit kind of gangly. And all. Why do children run and skip? Because it's a joy. It's how we're made. We're made to run. We're made to frolic. We're made to gamble. The trouble is in life, you know, as life gets us down, we end up stooped shoulders, head goes down, feeling weary, and we stumble. God says he wants us to run and he wants to give us the energy. Even young men like Peter stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord renew their strength and not just simply run but actually soar on wings like eagles. God wants us to be a generation who can run into his purpose. Acts 20, this passage, is Paul looking backwards at his life, looking at the journey he's taken, the years which God has used him in blessing and joining with these churches in his teaching and his partnering, his fathering of that great church. And he's looking forward into the future at his own fate, at his own perils and difficulties and his imminent death that lies ahead soon, or at least his imprisonment. And he's saying a farewell to them. And he's also looking into the future for the church, for these leaders in this church. And he knows that the future for that church that lies ahead is also full of peril and danger, full of people who come in and spread... Uh, unbelief and, and confusion and false teaching. And he's saying to them, when the false teachers come, when the false prophets rise up, when press, persecution and pressure comes against you, don't give up, don't stop running. The enemy of this age, the enemy of, 
The kingdom of heaven wants you to stop running, to give up, to yield, to take the easy path, to just not hold to the word of God, to not hold to the truth of Christ, to not hold to friendship with him, but just give up, take the easy path. And Paul's urging that church and he's urging you and me today, let's be a people who run and don't give up, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of challenge. They're the words of a man who has clear, deep affection for the church, a real longing for that church. They're words that are tearfully delivered and tearfully received, I think, by the church. That's true apostolic leadership. He's encouraging and urging them to run, to run the great race. And he's urging that church, and I urge us as church, to take our place in the purposes of God, to be a true agent of change in the days that we live in, an agent of transformation. Not through our good works or our nice ideas, not through us just being nice, but as Paul says, through the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, which is hope to this world. We're coming into the Advent season next week, Advent calendars at the ready. We start the run down to Christmas, that great period where we think about the coming of the King. Jesus coming into the world. It's good news. It was good news 2,000 years ago and it's great news today. People who are living in fear, living in darkness, to them a great light has come. And for you, if you feel like you're in darkness at the moment, then the good news is Jesus has come as light for you. He wants to shine light onto the path ahead of you so you can begin to run again with confidence. We're not called to be a club or a ghetto or a little clique. We're called to be a family, a family community of believers joined by a united passion to make Christ known, to make the hope that we have known to a world outside these windows, outside these walls. Thousands of people in Whitcomb and beyond have no idea who Jesus is, no idea of the hope that we have, no idea about the empowering transformational presence of the Holy Spirit or the transforming love of the Father. So this Advent is our opportunity. This church is going to be full. When we do carols by laser light, people come here to get their cataracts done. There'll be two or three hundred people in here, most of whom have perhaps never heard the gospel. It's a great opportunity for us to celebrate together, to sing some great carols, to drink some great mulled something eat some mince pies, but more importantly to make known the glorious good news of Jesus. Think about who you're going to invite to that service that night. (laughs) Peter and I have already got some new lasers this year. The 2,000 glow sticks have arrived. It's going to be wild. But more importantly, it's an opportunity to share the great hope that we have in Jesus. We're all called to run. And not simply run the race, but finish the race. Strong, to finish strong. That's my longing. I want to finish strong. Not exhausted, not burnt out, not hopeless and breathless. But with our eyes on the prize, our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And with the wind of the Spirit in our lungs so that when we run we feel his pleasure. We've got the task of showing the world Jesus. Making him known. Making the good news of the gospel known to be an apostolic community, which is a community that's sent into the world. We come here as church, we come into the pits, we get our wheels changed, we get an oil change, we get encouraged, we have a bit of a pit stop, we eat some great cake and toast, 
but we go from this place to bring good news to our community and beyond. So I want to pray for us, and I want to pray for those maybe who have fallen away from their faith. I think it would be good to just pause as, as I want to pray as I finish. You know, God is a God who draws the prodigals. He loves the prodigals who, to come home. He's a great father. And even now, I don't know, maybe it's just a few of us, but I know in my life there's at least immediately two people who come to mind who have just wandered away. I don't know if they're prodigals or lost sheep, but right now they don't seem to be running the race. And what I'd like, if you've got someone close to you, one or two people, I'd like you to imagine that you've kind of got, got their name written perhaps in the palm of your hand. And prayerfully, I'd like to hold that name before God, that you can hold that name before God. Jesus, the great intercessor, prays for us and prays for them. And we can stand in the gap and we can lift these names to the Father and say, Lord, would you call these prodigals home? Would you call these men and women, those who have, who have been running the race but who have stopped or slowed down or become disillusioned or become derailed or taken the wrong path, would you call them back? Let them hear your voice. Why don't you hold them out to the Lord in just a moment's silence now? Name them before the Lord quietly in your mind. Father, you are the God who calls the prodigals. And Lord, you are the good, good Father who when in that parable that Jesus told, the Father saw the Son away off while he was still reciting his apology, filled with remorse and shame, expecting to be treated as a, a slave. The Father saw him and lifted up his, girded his loins and ran at him and flung a cloak around his shoulder and put a ring on his finger and celebrated because the son who was lost had come home. So Father, I want to pray for all those prodigals that we've named, all those who have run out of breath. By your mercy and in your grace, would you come and meet with them? And Lord, for any here tonight who feel weary and who have been struggling to run the race, would you come by your Holy Spirit and stir us to run, to not grow weary? to walk and not be faint. Because those who hope in you will renew their strength and soar on wings like eagles. Lord, may we run the race. May we claim the prize that we're destined for. Jesus, may you truly be the author and perfecter of our faith. May we fix our eyes on you, Jesus freed from the yoke of shame and our past, forgetting what is behind and laying hold of what's ahead, running onwards to claim the prize for which we're called. Deeper fellowship with you, greater sense of your purpose and presence, your kingdom coming, your will being done in our lives and those around us. May we run, Lord, and may we know your pleasure as we run. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
going to invite the band to come up as we just finish. <coughs> and just in the last two or three minutes as we sing a few wor- just a couple of worship songs, if you'd like someone to stand with you, if you'd like someone to pray with you over any of the things that I've talked about tonight, there'll be a team of us over on the side. We'd love to just encourage you, pray with you over anything that you've felt God saying to you tonight. You know, in Sri Lanka, <laughs> we, we, we were there hours praying. I mean, like, properly hours. And you would pray for them and God would really move powerfully. And then you think, I'm sure you've got a twin. I'm sure I prayed for you over there. And they would get up off the floor or they would kind of finish praying and they would go and join the queue around the other side again. And you'd pray for people three or four times because they were hungry. They were hungry for God to touch them and to, to, to see breakthrough in their lives. Sometimes we're very British and we think, oh, I'll let other people go first. If you'd like someone to pray with you, then we'd love to pray with you tonight. Yeah, go.